0: It's time for the powermazoo.com podcast. With interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe
1: DeArmond.
0: Welcome back to the powermazoo.com podcast. And uh, offseason for football, nothing really happening. So we are going to actually focus for the first time in a couple years around Columbia on the NBA draft this week. The uh, the NBA draft combine actually begins tomorrow in, or I'm sorry, Wednesday. We're recording this Tuesday. You won't hear it until after that. But uh, NBA Draft Combine Wednesday in Chicago. That'll run for five days. We are going to talk to Sam Vicini, who is part of the... I think it's fair to call it an all-star cast at The Athletic now covering pretty much all things basketball. Sam, how you doing? I'm all right, man. How's it going? Doing well here. Uh, It's finally under 90 degrees for the first time in a couple days in Missouri, so we're happy about that. Um, You are... (laughs) Headed to Chicago on uh, on Wednesday for the NBA Draft Combine, and, and like I said, it's been a couple of years since Missouri fans have had a lot of reason to follow this. So, can you just kind of kind of let Missouri fans know for these for these next four or five days, how important is this for kids, especially kids in in like a Jonte Porter situation where they're still trying to decide for sure if they're going to go pro or go back to school?
2: So yeah, very different kind of sides of the coin here for the combine and very different levels of importance for the combine for Michael versus Jonte, right? We we can start with Jonte because that's who you stated, uh, you know, Jonte is going to be in that middle range where depending on who ends up dropping out of the Combine after the lottery tonight, who ends up actually going among the players, what agents hold the players out, he might or might not have to play in the five on five. I, I would imagine that when the NBA sent out their invite list, he probably uh, was told he would have to play. But uh, once everything kind of settles and you know everything kind of gets set, it's hard to say whether or not he's going to end up in that setting. Uh, for him and for everyone else that attends the Combine, the two biggest things that I think people don't really realize because so much of the front-facing stuff is what people see, the vertical jumps, the agility tests the five-on-five, you know, all of that stuff. That stuff is really, I don't want to say it's unimportant, but it's not quite as important as the stuff that happens behind the scenes. So the the first thing that's really, really critical to any prospect is the medical testing that they undergo. Uh, Most prospects there, as we'll talk about with Michael, because I'm questionable as to whether or not his agent will actually have him go through this, but most, te- most prospects there go through rigorous medical testing. And, and they go through long-term potential injuries, anything that uh, could crop up over the course of the next five to ten years, anything that's current that you know maybe they've been battling and don't really know. That-, that stuff gets done, and that is the kind of thing that can tank your draft stock or it can really help your draft stock. You had a guy in E.K. Onabogu last year who ended up not having to play in the combine flat five on five because people thought he was – you know, almost a surefire first-round pick, and he ends up going 49th to Indiana uh, on draft night because his medical testing went poorly. So that is the first critical part. The second critical part is the interview process. It really just kind of acts as a great little convention for teams to get a chance to meet and greet with a lot of these kids and, uh, you know, get 15 to 20 minutes with them, sometimes half an hour to an hour with them, and learn a little bit more about them figure out if they want them to come to their facility to their city to learn uh a little bit more about them take them out to dinner and see if they're the kind of fit that will go with their organization so the front facing stuff yeah that's great but it's everything that happens behind the scenes that's really important with the combine Got
3: gotcha, just sam mitchell 40 here uh you know, you in your, your most recent mock draft, you had uh Jonte Porter, I believe, at, at number twenty-six in almost all the drafts. He's been kind of a fringe first, second round prospect, right on the bubble there. What do you think is maybe the the, the biggest question Mark Scouts have about him uh as far as his game and, and can he kind of answer that at the combine?
2: I don't really think he can answer the questions that have arisen about him at the combine. Like maybe if he uh, well, I'll start with what they are, right? Like the <laughs> big question is athleticism, right? Sure. Uh, he is not a guy that has like this awesome physical frame that yeah. you look at and go, "Oh yeah, like he's gonna he's gonna keep getting more athletic and keep getting, uh, you know, keep growing into his frame, and he's gonna be the kind of center who can switch out onto guards and who can uh, actually be a point of resistance in this pick and roll heavy league. It's just kind of not who he is." just in terms of his athleticism and in terms of his quick twitch uh, explosiveness. You look at him, he's very skilled. He has very clean footwork, but the quick twitch, the athleticism, the explosiveness, it's not really there, and that makes you worry about in today's modern game, if you have a center that's like that, uh, how valuable can he be if he is going to be a hindrance on the perimeter defensively It's what you want to do? Uh, you know, you, you saw last night, for instance, in the playoffs. every single time that Houston would switch Nene onto Kevin Durant, the Warriors would just attack. They'd be like, that's an advantageous matchup. We're going to play one-on-one with those guys, and we know Kevin's going to win that matchup seven times out of ten. So that's the kind of position that you put yourself in defensively as an NBA team if you have a, defense, if you have a center that can't really move. Uh, maybe if he would test well in terms of agility testing, maybe if he would uh, come in in ridiculous shape where he has really shed some of the baby fat that he was wearing this year at Missouri from you know, playing AAU in the summer last year before uh, even getting to Missouri because he was such a late reclass. Uh, you know, maybe that would really help, but I, I think that teams are just going to be hesitant in general about him, just given the frame and given the athleticism.
0: Now, I know a few years ago the thought always was, hey, if, if you're not a first-round pick, you've got to stay in school because there's such a difference in, in first and second-round contracts and all that. You had a, an interesting story a couple days ago about how new new CBA rules have kind of changed the equation for some of these guys, and and I know Missouri fans' first reaction was. I don't understand why he'd go now if he could come back and, and very possibly be a lottery pick next year, but for for people who maybe don't follow the NBA as closely, can you explain kind of that article and why being a second-round pick might not be the negative it was a couple of years ago?
2: So, yeah, the, the argument that people make is that there are only 30 guaranteed contracts in the, first, or in the NBA draft, right? Everyone in the first round gets guaranteed money. Everyone in the second round is, Uh, you know, set under a rule system that says they don't necessarily have to get guaranteed money. The thing is, though, that in practice, those picks end up being so valuable to NBA teams because they're such a low-risk endeavor of potentially getting a high-quality player uh, that teams just give out guaranteed money to those guys because it's worth it to them. So, like, in 2013-14, in that 2014 draft, only eight of 22 NCAA-based second-round picks received at least a $1 million guarantee and multiple years guaranteed overall in their their contract. Last year, it was 13 of 23 college players picked in the second round received at least a $2 million guarantee, and 15 of those 22 players received sizable second-year guarantees. Of the top 20 players picked, In the 2017 second round of the NBA draft, uh, so anyone picked from 31 to 50, all of those guys got at least one year guaranteed, and all of them but one got at least a year and a half guaranteed with at least $1.5 million guaranteed. So it's kind of a misnomer at this stage to state that your only chance of getting a guaranteed contract comes in the first round now. And because of that, I, I think that it's worth exploring if you're a, you know, borderline first round pick, just going to the NBA and saying, Hey, these teams are going to take care of me. The G league is built up as a solid developmental ground. It's not quite as you know cushy as the college life life would be. A lot of these places don't necessarily have, like the tried and true weight rooms that a uh, you know a place like Missouri would have, for instance, G League places. You know, some of them work out with the NBA teams. Some of them are in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. <laughs> so it, it's a little bit it's hit and miss with G League teams. But a lot of teams in the NBA have really started to care about them and put some resources down there at least to make their draft picks comfortable and to make them uh, in a more advantageous situation to their development. So I, I think that. At the end of the day, if you're a top 50 pick in the NBA draft, I think it kind of makes sense to go now, to be honest. And again, like a lot of this comes back to philosophy too, and thinking about it from the perspective of the student athlete slash professional basketball player that's going to be entering that realm. If you want to go pro, go pro. Like, yeah, maybe you wouldn't be leaving at the top of your stock, but – if you're just in a place where you don't want to be in college anymore, do what you want, man. Like, I'm not going <laughs> right. to stop
3: you. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've uh, talked a lot about Tay Porter. Um, have to address his his brother, Michael, now. Uh, in, I believe in your latest mock draft, you had him at number 6 to Chicago. Um, first of all, I know there's been kind of a, a little bit of debate about whether him coming back from uh, the back injury and, and playing from back surgery and playing in Missouri's game in the SEC tournament and NCAA tournament helped or hurt or – was neutral to his stock. Uh, do you have a t- have an idea of uh, of of what that might have been?
2: Yeah, you know, I've talked to some NBA folks about it. I mean, they're not real worried about like what his performances were mm-hmm. in those games. You know what I mean? Um, they're more worried about the long term viability of the back and getting him into their uh, team doctors and seeing if the back is going to be fine. Because in Michael's case, he's been seen. Like, for, like, so, Dyer Smith played a full season at Texas Tech this year, played 30-plus games. He He's going to the NBA draft. He's going to be a one-and-done player. He'll probably be a top-25 pick. I would say that NBA scouts have actually seen Michael Porter more than they've seen Dyer Smith because Michael Porter has been to just about every single prep event uh, over the course of his two and a half years of being an elite level high school prospect mm-hmm. that he could attend from Adidas nations, the Nike basketball Academy to playing for team USA and multiple events for them. Like hoop summit, McDonald's all American folks have seen him a lot. They know what he is. The prospect, Right. Uh, it's all about the back and then there are some things that have cropped up in terms of was he a great teammate at Missouri was he uh, the kind of guy that you want to have around on your roster like that those are the two big questions with Michael now that scouts know what he is
0: well and that's that's interesting again spending a few minutes with Sam Vicini from the athletic uh, and and with Michael I mean I know that that you follow some of these elite kids obviously back to high school so you've seen him a lot too I mean a year ago, two years ago, the buzz was this might be the best high school player since LeBron James. Uh, we had people tell us last year when he committed to Missouri, look, if he was in the NBA draft in 2017, he'd be the number one pick as you know a should-be college freshman, and now I don't think anybody has him really in the top five. Obviously, the back's a part of that, but what's the... What's the ceiling and what's the floor for Michael? Taking out the floor being, you know, his back's messed up and he never plays, but assuming he's healthy, what's the floor for Michael in the NBA?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, what I would say about him is that I was never quite that high on him. Like, I thought he was a totally real potential number one overall pick in the 2018 draft, but, like, I I probably would have had him, like, third Mm -hmm. in the 2017 draft class. I probably would have had him... Uh, you know, something around that mark in the 2016 draft class. I think he's a really, really good prospect. Uh, so, some of the stuff like best prospect since LeBron is like bananas to me. Yeah. Uh, having said that, the floor for him is that the back becomes a significant issue. And, you know, he plays five or six years in the NBA and can't really establish himself as like a full stop you know, rotation player because uh, he just, can't stay on the floor enough and can't uh, get that vote of confidence that you need from within yourself to feel good about what you where your game is and to uh, play in the NBA because confidence is such a critical factor in the NBA. Like these guys are all incredibly good. Uh, these guys are all incredibly gifted and having confidence about where your game is, is so, so valuable. Uh, the ceiling is legitimate all-star like he could be a five or six time all-star pretty easily uh someone like a danny granger comes to mind who you know i think a lot of people forget how good he was at his peak he was like a 24 25 point a game scorer for indiana um you know guys like that that are six foot ten who can step away who can shoot it but who can also score from all three levels they're rare but they're coming around a little bit more throughout the nba uh yeah like he, he can average 23 25 a game in the nba if he was to be totally healthy and to uh, hit the right advantageous situation that fosters his development as well as uh, kind of lets him loose and you know create what he can create.
3: Mm-hmm. Sam uh, one guy the, the actually the only guy from Missouri's really a highly touted 2018 recruiting class who's back to school is uh, Jeremiah Tillman. Um, there's been a little bit of a debate about whether or not he maybe has some potential to develop into a player who could leave early for the NBA. Um, don't know how much of his game you've seen, but from what you have seen, what uh, what is the likelihood of him possibly uh, getting to that point in a year? And, and if he were at that point, what would he have had to improve?
0: I'd
2: be surprised if he was at that point in a year. And part of this is that The threshold to be a true center in today's NBA is so high because Mm -hmm. as we continue to downsize or play quote-unquote small ball or value perimeter skills, uh, there are fewer and fewer spots that are being created for tough guys that rebound, that play tough defense, that kind of do the things that you would hope that Jeremiah Tillman brings at some point. Now, I really like how hard he plays. Uh, I just kind of have a soft spot for him uh, as, like, a guy you know is going to go out there. He's going to cause a ruckus for 20 minutes a
0: night. He's gonna, <laughs> sometimes you know,
2: seven minutes a night. <laughs> sometimes seven minutes a night, depending on how trigger-happy the refs are with the whistle. Uh, and depending on if he just, like, flat-out tackles someone. <laughs> but, like, yeah, I have a soft spot in my heart for guys like that. He plays so hard. He wants it. Like, you can tell that every time he's on the floor, he genuinely wants to kill the other guy like he wants to kill the other guy he (laughs) wants to just win every single minute that he's on the floor um the skills are the big question he needs to shoot it i've seen some reports out of missouri that says like he he wants to really improve as a jump shooter he wants to get to the point where the 18 footer can be a part of his game he's got a long way to go
0: yeah about about 10 feet i think
2: yeah he's got a real long way to go on that but I, I would hope that he can develop it at some point, maybe by year three. That's a real outcome. But I'd be surprised if he was uh, a guy that returned next year and was a legit NBA prospect, maybe year three, maybe year four. Uh, he kind of reins in some of the wildness of his game. He develops the skills. He develops the jump shot, maybe becomes uh, a little bit more comfortable on the perimeter as a passer. Uh, those are the kind of skills you need in today's NBA. And, you know, I, I think that Jeremiah is lacking them at this stage, but he's still young and we have to help.
0: Yeah, all the reasons Jonte might be a first round pick are, are the same reasons Tillman won't be. Uh, Sam, just want to get you out of here with this. So I'm not going to ask you to, like, tell me who the first pick is. I, I think most people think it's going to be DeAndre Ayton. But if you're making picks, like, who's the one guy in this draft that you say, I've got to have him. And who's the one guy that's going to go somewhere in the lottery that, that you would say, I no way I can take him?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think DeAndre is the guy that I've got to have if you're looking for someone that is a little bit lower on the board maybe that, uh, you know, you're, you're not like – teams aren't going to take him in the lottery. Like I am a pretty big fan of Chandler Hutchison at Boise and you know, six foot seven, seven foot wingspan. He kind of fits exactly what NBA teams are looking for from a body control perspective, from the ability to get into the lane and uh, create his own basket from an aggressiveness standpoint as a driver. The key is the jump shot. If he can shoot it, I think he's going to be a really good player. The guy in the lottery that, I'm a little bit worried about. It would probably be Wendell Carter for a lot of the reasons that we've talked about with Jonte Porter, right? six uh, foot 260 pounds, very developed frame, you know, good footwork, much like Jonte, but not necessarily the most agile guy, not the quickest guy. And in today's NBA, I'm a little bit worried that players like him and like Jonte will get exposed at a greater level than they do in the college game.
0: All right, well, Sam, really appreciate you taking some time. I know uh, you got a lot of laundry to do before you hit Chicago tomorrow, so thanks for taking some time with us.
2: Yeah, thanks, Sam. So much laundry. It's bad, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, have a good one. Enjoy it. You too. All right, Sam Vicini from The Athletic. Uh, I, I mean, like, computer. Uh, yeah. Like, I've seen him at recruiting events. Yeah. He covers college basketball. He, he like, shows NBA film, breaking, breaking it down on Twitter. Really knows his stuff. Yeah. Um,
3: we, we, on the other hand, didn't actually know who Chandler Hutchinson from Boise was. No,
0: I've heard his name, but I couldn't tell you one thing about him. Yeah. Like, couldn't tell you what position he plays. Couldn't have told you where he went to school. Honestly, can't tell you still if he's like a black guy, white guy. I have no idea.
3: Same. Know nothing about him. So That's uh, why we have Sam.
0: Yeah, that's why we have guests instead of just giving our opinions. <laughs> but, look, this, this whole thing, really, it's fascinating from the perspective of both players for me. Um, I mean... I know Jonte does everything the NBA wants, mm-hmm. but, like, I look at him, and I just don't see a guy that can play NBA basketball yet. Now, that doesn't, again, I agree with Sam. That doesn't mean he shouldn't go. Mm-hmm. Whatever. That's his choice to make. I'm not saying he shouldn't go. I just don't see him as a rotation guy for for an NBA team yet.
3: Right. No, I don't, I don't, I don't know that NBA teams see him as a rotation guy yet. I think I think the NBA has moved towards this for a while where they're drafting guys uh, mostly off of potential, just because they have the G League teams, and there's, you know, I mean, as a 18, he'll be 18 when he's drafted, I, yeah. or 19, I and guess. He turns he, 19. 19, 19 yeah, so, he, I mean, he'll have so much time to develop. He's, you know, he's got so many more years left that even if it, it takes three or four years, he's still, I mean, he could still play for 10. Right. So, that's a
0: classic. We want to pick him and hope in three years right, he's Right, play. Right,
3: right. Um, so, and, and because, of, because of the raw skills you mentioned, and, you know, I'm sure teams. Have hoped that they can they can you know refine his body a little bit add some add some agility and some athleticism but yeah I mean it, it is it is interesting uh, you know I would be scared to to make a pick um, that that has that kind of you know risk reward aspect I, to it
0: yeah I think like Sam had him to the Sixers uh-huh. in their mind well they also have like the number ten pick or right, something right. in this draft so maybe a team like that hey, if it doesn't work, it just doesn't work. It's exactly. not that big a deal. Yeah. We've already got all our young guys. We, we've we got a team that we feel pretty good about. Mm-hmm. Hey, maybe we can take a chance. But if you're a team that's picking like 21 and that's your only pick,
3: mm-hmm.
0: you're probably not doing that.
3: Right. Yeah, definitely.
0: So on the other side, I, there's no way even probably two months ago I would have said I'm really intrigued about Michael Porter in the NBA draft because I would have said he's going top six or seven, and right. we know that. and. And I think he probably still will. But, boy, if you want a poster child for why the NBA's one-and-done rule sucks, mm-hmm. it's Michael Porter Jr. If he goes last year, like, he's a top-three pick. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any question. He's forced to spend a year in school. He's It, it comes out that he's hurt. He doesn't play uh, until the last three games. Nobody now has him as a top-five pick. And I'm not going to be stunned If, like, there are shots of Michael Porter Jr., similar to what there were of Aaron Rodgers at the NFL draft, just when's this kid going to—I mean, he's going to go in the lottery. Yeah. But I'm not sure I'll be shocked if it's, like, 11 or 12.
3: Yeah. And I think if he does fall that far, then, I mean, you'd have to be curious what came out of the the medical evaluation that Sam was talking about at the combine.
0: Well, And and the other thing to remember is they control who gets to see those. Yeah. So, like, his agent can just go— yeah, we're we're only releasing it to like three teams that yeah. we know are serious about it.
3: So. Yeah, which would make you know a team that that doesn't get right. that I would think somewhat skeptical. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it is. I mean, it, it is kind of fascinating to see a kid who who was touted as you know potentially like you said a, a a number one or at least top three pick a year ago fall a little bit. Um, you know, obviously, you know, as, as people have talked about a lot, the second contract is much more important in the NBA. It's not like this is you know going to ruin his career to right. fall that far down but the but the back is certainly a concern um if you know like you said if if he's sitting around until you know the double digits and and, and picks you would have to I mean for me that that almost proves that that uh, either teams found something that they're scared of or didn't get answers to make them unscared of those things right
0: well and the other thing that Sam brought up and he's written about this and look if you don't think this is a question you are whistling past the graveyard is, mm-hmm what kind of a teammate is this kid how Mm -hmm. bought in is he um look he this is a fine line because he did wonders for missouri basketball there is is. no question his presence was the number one reason that this turnaround was accelerated even if it wasn't on the floor but like he wasn't it's not that he wasn't practicing he wasn't at practice Mm -hmm. for the first couple months like he, he wasn't – and people said we were making too much of him not being on the bench. No, we weren't because I promise NBA teams are making every bit as much about why were you on a recliner or why did people not even know if you were at the arena? Like, these are legitimate questions, and I think the, I, I think the answer, again, goes back to the one-and-done rule. Like, Michael – I don't want to say that Missouri wasn't important to him because that's unfair. Right. But like, it, it was a place he was forced to be. It was the best option he had.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But now he's a pro, and it's hey, this is my livelihood. This is my career. Mm-hmm. I, I fully expect Mike to be a great teammate. He's mm-hmm. a, he's a good kid. I've I've always, a, and he's now going to be in a position where there's a lot of other guys in the NBA that had Michael Porter Junior's last four years. Mm-hmm. There weren't very many guys in college, and there were no guys on Missouri's team who had the life he had for the the three or four years before he got here.
3: Right, right. So speaking of of the uh, you know the the early early season kind of absences, I, I can kind of see that multiple ways. One, obviously, you know, in one sense, you're you're an 18 year old kid who's just kind of suffered this devastating event, and you're you know you you don't really know how to handle it, and you've maybe never handled any kind of real adversity right. before but also you know that's but that's the only kind of sample size that that nba teams have to look at as far as a player who who you know maybe gets injured or, or something doesn't go his way you know that if if he did it once you got i guess it, it is fair to wonder how he will handle you know adversity which will come up in an 80 game season you know you're you're gonna get hurt you're gonna get banged up your team's gonna lose some games um that said i do think i mean you know, Sam said that that uh, him coming back and and playing in the tournament games probably didn't have a huge impact based on his performance. I do think, in my mind at least, the fact that he was willing to play again and and very clearly, uh, very clearly a you know shaken up or emotional about uh, about those losses and about his role kind of uh, shows that he he did care.
0: Yeah, and and I definitely think he cared. Um, and look, the the cynics will say. You know, that he was more about him than he was about... Good! He should be. (laughs) Why why shouldn't he be more about him? Everybody is about themselves. Oh, yeah. You know, and and this kid was sitting on a lottery, an uncashed lottery ticket that none of us can identify with. So, I don't think character attacks are fair, but I do think it's fair to say, you know, hey, you're going to face some tough questions these
3: next few days. Definitely, definitely.
0: So, uh... Yeah, well I I don't even I know the NBA draft is in early June after the playoffs wrap up after mm-hmm. 11 months. I don't know yeah. the exact date off the top Maybe of even my head. Maybe late
3: June.
0: Yeah, it, yeah, it's sometime in June yep. um in New York. It will will certainly be interesting to follow. Missouri is going to have I still expect Jontay to stay in the draft and Missouri mm-hmm. to have two of the top 35 to 40
3: players taken. Yep.
0: Okay. Now we're going to talk to somebody who probably has a little better idea what's going on with the uh, NBA draft and the Porter family than uh, Mitchell and I do. Welcome in Mizzou assistant Michael Porter Sr. Coach, how you doing today? I'm doing great, man. How about you? Doing okay. Uh, appreciate you taking some time. Are you in, uh, in Chicago or are you back in Columbia? Or?
1: No, I'm in Columbia. I'll get to Chicago tomorrow.
0: Okay. Okay. So, First things first. Just want to ask you kind of what this last you know month to six weeks has been like for for you and, and both the boys just since the season ended and, and going through these uh, you know decisions and conversations and now finally getting to the draft combine.
1: Yeah, well, it has been another real uh, interesting transition for for the boys. Um, you know, they they're realizing now that. Uh, the NBA is a man's league, and you got to conduct yourself a certain way. Uh, you got to take care of your business. You got to be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there, and uh, you know it's 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 not not college anymore.
3: Coach uh, Mitchell Forty here. I know that uh, Michael and Jonte yeah. have been in Chicago lately, uh, working out. In preparation for the combine, what kind of a, has their their training regimen been like out there, and maybe what specifically is uh, one thing that that each each boy has been kind of focusing on improving?
1: Their regimen has been Michael's. Michael's has been a little bit different than John Tate. Uh-huh. John Tate gets up; uh, they pick him up at about uh, eight thirty every morning, um, and then he's on his way. And at nine thirty, he's in the gym working out. So. They break it out into three sections. Uh, from about nine thirty till eleven thirty or twelve, he's working out skills, sort of skills development and that sort of thing. Um, in the afternoon, he gets to go to a recovery lounge where he's got to get in a hot tub, cold tub, Normatec boots, all that. And then in the evening, they just come back for a shooting workout. And he's been doing that for a few weeks now. Michaels has been more rehab oriented to continue and get him 100% healthy again. And, um, you know, he's still getting that explosive comeback, uh, and so he's real happy about that. He's also getting a lot of skills training and training uh, and recovery as well.
0: I wanted to ask you, um, obviously you guys are, are plenty familiar with the NBA, and leading up to the draft tends to be a time where – People just look at all these players and poke holes in their games. So wanted to ask you, obviously these two kids are in different situations, but with Mike, kind of a couple of questions. First of all, how many questions have you guys had to field about the back and where he's at? And then also just a couple of these random reports that are out there as far as, you know, talking about how, how – bought in Mike was and and his standing is like a guy in the locker room and all that and again these are just things that have been out there because leading up to the draft that's what happens with guys right I haven't
1: seen anything that's been out there um i yeah as Mike's Mike's deal and all um I, I just i try to stay away from that stuff mm-hmm but um so i wouldn't I wouldn't know how to comment on that. What was the other part of your question
0: as far as uh how much of a concern or how many questions are you guys getting oh, from teams about his health and in long term right. future?
1: to be honest with you, I haven't been asked one question uh I think his the agency that Mike hired is fielding most of the questions, and they are handling that part of his process. Uh, I'm sure they're getting a lot. In fact, I know they're getting a lot. Uh, they're in constant contact with Lisa and me, just kind of letting us know what's going on. And, uh, you know, that is the concern. Teens want to know just, you know, how healthy he is and, and what the prognosis is for his back. And, you know, the prognosis, just to let you, you guys know, he's he's doing great, man. His back is feeling really, really good. And uh, they are working on a lot of – similar to what Victor Oladipo did to transform his body and his game, the biomechanical stuff, that's what they're doing with Michael.
0: Last thing with Mike, uh, just how difficult was the decision for him to enter the draft? I mean, from the outside, a lot of people said this is a no-brainer. He knows he's a top-ten pick, but then you also heard some rumors, hey, he, he really struggled with this for a few days.
1: He did. He really, really did. In fact, just after we lost in the NCAA tournament, I mean, in that initial uh, flurry of media down in the locker room, he wanted to announce that he was coming back for sure, no doubt. Um, I asked him to, hey, man, just come on. Be It's an emotional time right now. Just hold it in. Let's process it for a few days and see where you land after that. And he did that. And, um, you know, at the end of it all, decided that moving on to the NBA was probably the best thing for him.
3: Cool. Uh, Switching over to uh, Jonte a little bit. Um, Obviously, he is yet to hire an agent, so his decision is not finalized. Um, Do you you all uh, kind of have a a threshold in mind or something that that you all would like to hear maybe from the combine or from – from you know people involved with teams uh, in order to make that decision and uh, do you also have like any kind of a, a deadline in mind
1: Not really. Jonte has workouts scheduled with teams. I think the deadline's the 30th. Mm-hmm. And he's working out on the 29th for the Atlanta Hawks. Okay. He's scheduled to work out uh at that point for them. So um and really honestly just I don't want to see Jonte go in the second round and I think you know for him there's a lot of benefit with the way the NBA game is played and his particular skill set there'd be a lot of benefit there's some good teams that are really interested in him in the mid to late first round uh, from what I hear but um, you know it's going to be John Tay's decision Mm -hmm. and uh, again coming face to face with having to be more mature and having to be more self-sufficient has been a real wake-up call for him. And so I know he's weighing things out right now, and he's actually, yeah, I think they're working out right now at the Combine. And, um, yeah, and he's just going to take everything, you know, get the feedback from the teams and then figure it out from there.
0: Obviously, you're, Coach, you're a basketball guy, but first and foremost, you're a dad in this situation. So uh, you mentioned it. I mean, how much of how much of Jonte's decision and, and really how much at the time of Michael's decision was basketball-related and how much of it is, hey, these are 18-year-old kids now going out and, and traveling 80 days a year with grown men and, and not living with mom and dad and not having that support system that maybe they've had this whole time. I mean, how much of the non-basketball part goes into these decisions?
1: That's a huge consideration. That is a huge consideration because, uh, you know, like you mentioned, these are, I mean, Tay and Michael are 18 and 19, and they'll be in the locker room with grown men who, some of them have grown man vices. <laughs> and, you know, uh, dad won't be there to kind of help, you know, help you navigate that whole deal. So that's a big consideration. And part of the reason that we believe Tay. It's in John Tate's best interest that uh, he'd be almost guaranteed that he's gonna be a first round pick, mm-hmm. which that's what this feedback we've been getting seems to point to, but you know you never know, right. you never know until it's a done deal. so um but yeah that's that's the part that I worry about the basketball part like if Mike's healthy and if John Tate decides to stay, the basketball piece. I have no worries about with those two. It's that other part that you mentioned. That's the part that you know we'll talk a lot about and pray a lot about, and just hope that there are some some good veteran guys on the, whatever team they land on that can wrap their arms around them and say, hey, "Young know, fella, this is how you do it. This is how you be a pro." And uh, you know, let let some of the side stuff go, and then go from there.
3: Uh, as you, you know, as you mentioned, uh, the you know the. The, uh you are a, a dad in addition to to just a basketball coach and uh, one of your other children, Sierra. It uh, was recently reported as kind of facing a difficult decision uh, on whether to re- medically retire or play her senior season for the Mizzou women's team. Um, can you just talk a little bit about how kind of difficult that decision has been and, and uh, whether or not you all have, have reached a uh, decision there? Um.
1: Well, like you said, it has been a tough decision and tough from the standpoint of, I hate to say, I know, I've known, man, ever since those girls were 10 and 11 years old, that both of them had a chance to be real special ball-wise, you know, and then the injuries start to set in and you're just not yourself once you start getting injured, especially for for females. It's, 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 uh, that's an injury, those injuries, knee injuries seem to be more prevalent on the women's side sometimes than they do on the men's side. And so, you know, watching your kid go through that and rehab and come back and and stuff just not work out for them physically is a tough deal. However, perspective says, you know, man, if if a knee injury is the worst thing that happens to you in your life, you know, it's not cancer. It's not anything, you know, life-threatening and you got your schooling paid for, and you're leaving here, you played your three years, and, and you've got a degree that's going to help pave the way for you to make a decent living, then, um, hey, man, that's a pretty good trade. That's a pretty good trade. Um, I know Sierra agonized, has is still agonizing over it to to this day. So, you know, we're going to see. I think she's just going to take the summer. She's doing an internship, actually, at the agency where – that Michael hired. And, um, and she's going to see how she feels at the end of the summer and maybe test it out and then go from there.
0: Just a few more minutes here with Mizzou uh, assistant coach, Michael Porter Sr. And, and coach, obviously the, the kind of whirlwind of, you know, last spring and, and Mike commits and Jonte commits and reclassifies and all that. And, now, I mean, there is a a very real possibility that none of your kids are going to play for Mizzou next year. So, if that let's say that ends up being the case, I mean, how do how will your family look on on the time at the University of Missouri, just as as basketball players, and and just the connection they were able to to form with the place where really they grew up?
1: Man, we will be our family eternally grateful for the University of Missouri for giving us the opportunity to be here and, and go through this experience as a family, uh, the highs, the lows, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. We went through it as a family and you don't always get to do that. And so we're grateful for it always, no matter what happens from here, we'll be grateful to the University of Missouri and the people of Columbia for, uh, man, just embracing us and and encouraging My kids and and looking out for them because, you know, like it, I I don't particularly like it, but my family being sort of what we are, lots of folks in Colombia know us, and my kids hate that because people tell on them when they're not (laughs) behaving. And so for us as parents, it's awesome in Colombia that you just got so many other sets of eyes, a whole village of other eyes, you know. Watching your kids and 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 letting us know, hey, you know, you might want to talk to so and so about this. Um, it's just been a very very special experience, man. And uh, you know, Columbia is a place. I mean, I don't know what the future is going to bring, but um, Lisa and I could see ourselves being here, you know, long after the kids are gone.
3: Coach, uh, obviously, it's it's been a very busy couple of months uh, for you with uh, Michael and Jonte being involved with the uh, with the draft process, but. Um, at the same time, you know, I know you are, uh, you know, still a, uh, a member of the the Mizzou staff. Have you had any time or had much time to go on the road recruiting at all um, in these last? While well, these uh, AAU circuits have been in high gear, and if so, where have you been?
1: Yeah, the first live uh, period, I was in Pittsburgh. Okay, uh, there was a huge. It was a lot of. Um, it was sort of a mixture of Adidas teams and Nike teams and just some local teams. It was. It was a huge deal at the convention center there in Pittsburgh. Um, I was there the first weekend, second weekend, I was over in Atlanta at the Adidas gauntlet, uh, event there in Cartersville and, um, identified some kids that we think can help us down the line. So for many of them, the recruiting process as you know, in, in regards to Missouri is just starting. And, uh, Yeah, we're excited, excited about the future and kids that we've targeted and just going to go through the process of seeing if they're a good fit and vice versa.
0: Last thing for you, and uh, like you said, hey, everybody in Columbia, everybody around Mizzou knows your family, and and part of that comes, obviously, rumors and talk and all that. Just want to see if you can address or put to rest any thought that if Jonte Mm -hmm. does stay in the draft, I I mean, Mm -hmm. is it still your plan to to stay and and be part of the Mizzou staff going forward even if – even if he's not here,
1: it absolutely is part of my plan to yeah. be here and be a part of the Missouri staff. I mean, what Coach Martin is doing here is phenomenal. I can't think of um, a, a situation just with, with more excitement and more uh, of a, a really good foundation that was built that first year. Uh, I think the second year is going to be just as uh exciting and just as groundbreaking as the first year was you know anything about coach martin you know that no matter what's going on on the outside no matter what whether it's chaos peace whatever the work ethic is the same the approach is the same and uh just gonna go get it done
0: well coach i really appreciate you taking some time and i know a lot of missouri fans uh Hope that the Porters are not done playing at Missouri as a family, but if they are, uh, maybe some new NBA fans in the next few weeks. Oh,
1: man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been It's been fun. All
0: right. Have a good day. Thanks a lot. Take care. Michael Porter, senior Mizzou assistant. Look, I didn't know how, you know, forthcoming and honest he would be. That was pretty honest stuff. I mean, if – and it's kind of what we've heard, but – They want to know Jonte's going in round one Mm -hmm. and it doesn't sound like dad's real keen on, Hey, take your chances in round two and, and who knows what happens.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, he, he said he would prefer, prefer Jonte to be a first round pick. Um, and, you know, obviously, he did say it's it's Jonte's decision. He also said he's working out for the Hawks, who I don't think are going to probably take him at number three or whatever their, right. their pick is. Yeah. But yeah, um, but but yeah, no, that's uh, that that was actually that was very interesting, as well as uh, saying that uh, Michael really struggled with his uh, his decision in the days after the uh, and uh, after the loss to Florida State. Man, yeah. I and I am glad he did not come out and say I'm coming back. And right, and I mind. And
0: look, we have heard, we have both heard that. Yeah that he was in the locker room telling people, when these reporters get down here, I'm going to tell them I'm coming back. Now, look, it doesn't do us a lot of good to report that, and uh, so I'm glad that the Coach said it. Um, boy, that I, because it would have been the ultimate hollow. Like, it would have put him in a really bad spot. Yeah. At, at that point, had he said that and then left, like, I wouldn't have held it against him, but it, it, a lot of people would have. Yeah. So I, I'm glad probably that that was not their route they went. The other thing, look, guys, hey, hey, we've talked a lot about, and, you know, hey, what what Coach Porter said, hey, it's my plan going forward. Hey, that's what we would fully expect him to say. We're, and we're not saying he's not telling the truth, all that. We asked the question. He answered it. So it's been out there. If Jonte goes pro, hey, this is going to end. Who knows? I'm not telling you it's not going to, but we asked him. He, You heard what he said. So, uh, you know, the plan – Certainly is for Michael Porter Sr. at this point to be on staff. And, you know, will he be coaching one of his kids or not? I, I guess we'll wait and see.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. A uh, lot, of, lot, of, uh, lot of things will be cleared up, uh, I guess, in the next few months when, when it comes and, to the Porter family.
0: Yeah. And, and really next, uh, what's today, May 16th? Yeah. So the deadline is two weeks from today. If yep. Jontae Porter is coming back to Missouri, we're going to know within the next 14 days. Yeah. Um, Obviously, the NBA Draft Combine is going on now, runs through Sunday. We are not there. I'm sure that there will be plenty of reports out there, mock drafts, all that. Uh, None of them really mean anything. Michael is going somewhere in the lottery, probably in the top ten. And with Jante, it is wait and see. But certainly appreciate Coach Porter for uh, taking the time. I know that um, I frankly was – I did not have high hopes when I asked that he would, if he would come on the podcast, but appreciate him doing it and appreciate him being so honest with us. And uh, you know, the the one thing that I think that puts to rest, or I think it should put to rest, I don't think there are hard feelings between Mizzou and the Porter family. They they both got something out of it. It didn't work out maybe the way Michael and and everybody would have wanted it to. But but this is not a, a. if it's ultimately a divorce this is not an ugly divorce right. like things went
3: well yeah yeah there was probably you know there was definitely some some a little bit of tension but that's going to happen when the face of the program you know gets hurt and has to miss a season that's you know that's that's going to happen anywhere uh, obviously it sounds like you know Michael Porter senior still involved with uh with Conzo they were what they were just golfing like a, <laughs> a couple days right. ago so uh, and and you, know, you you heard what he said uh, speaking highly of the program so it sounds like regardless of uh, whether or not Jonte and he remain with the program for another year that, uh, as you said, things, you know, have not soured between them.
0: So longer podcast, but uh, we had a lot to unpack there. Thanks to Michael Porter Sr. Thanks to Sam Vicini, And uh, I don't know, I guess Mitchell and I will be back next week. Time to start working on uh, figuring something out. Huh? Yep. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you next week.